What was your first language that you learned to speak? Because you're listening to this, I'm going to assume it was most likely English. But maybe not though. Maybe you had a language you spoke with your family at home in a different language for school or with friends. But what do you consider your native language? For me, English. My only other experience with language has been Spanish, which I've attempted on and off since middle school without much luck. I'd love to be able to speak Spanish, uh, especially with Ashley's family, but I just haven't had success learning a new language yet. So, my whole world, from the movies I love and watch over and over and can quote, to the books that I use to learn new subjects, um, or the memories I have of my parents praising me or scolding me, to the songs that make me cry or the favorite inside phrases that Ashley and I say to each other that make me feel loved and known, All of my experiences in life that have shaped me have been mediated by the English language. Even my thoughts that I have in my head, my own personal thoughts are in the English language. English is my interface for life, if you will. And I love it for that. And now while I don't think my language is superior to any other languages that exist, I do have a deep attachment to it that I could never shake. Like even if I moved to Mexico and learned Spanish and became fully fluent, I would still get more butterflies when Ashley looks at me and whispers, I love you, than if she were to say, te amo. My native language is embedded in my nervous system. It has profoundly shaped me into who I am. And here's my point. The same can be said for many people who grew up in a religious tradition. I had a conversation with my friend Abby, who left their religious tradition and later came back to it, kind of, kind of not really. (laughs) You'll see what I mean. I think many of you uh, might be able to relate to their story. And there's a lot of helpful metaphors in this episode that I really love because I just couldn't help myself. So Abby grew up in the church. After moving around a bit and their parents getting divorced, they ended up in western Kansas, going to the church in town that had the best youth group. Unlike many kids in youth group, though, Abby actually liked going to church. You know, my mom wasn't making me go. Like, I was choosing to do it myself. Um, and and I was, like, I was legitimately very engaged. Um, but as I engaged, like, more fully in it you know like i did what you know the the good youth group kids in my youth group did and like you know interned for the church and it it was almost as if the more involved i got in the um i guess more corporate aspects of the church um the more i had some pretty serious questions about the integrity of not only the church that I was attending, but, but also the, you know, the kind of the capital C church in general. I was playing a lot of music um, and I was like touring and I was traveling the country. And what I was realizing was that my experience out in the world 
was in almost direct conflict with what I was told to expect, right? Like, you know, youth group, they're like preparing you to go out into the world and to, you know, be warriors for Christ and blah, blah, blah. And this, you know, this terrible fallen world that's so, you know, full of these sinful people and et cetera. And, and my experience of life um, and specifically my experience of other people, people I'd never met, people who would, you know, wouldn't be caught dead in a church was so wildly different that that it no longer made sense. Hmm. Um, was that the kind of main thread that you started pulling on was like, wait, we're supposed to be the good guys, they're the bad guys, and you get out there, I'm finding something different, and in here behind the curtain I'm seeing yeah I mean that was really it like it it was on both sides like oh we're supposed to be the good guys we're saving people you know we've been saved by grace and we're going to go out and help everyone else Um, and my experiences you know traveling I was really taken care of by people I was loved and supported in very tangible ways by people I'd never met and I was told that that was not the way things went in the world that like we are in a fallen world people are bad you can't trust people people are not safe we need Jesus to save us and to teach us how to not be awful and you know I went out into the world and found these incredibly amazing people who cared for me when I needed it, when I was, you know, going back to like biblical analogies, I was a stranger in a strange land. Like I'd been places, you know, thousands of miles from home, places I'd never been before. And and these people took care of me. You know, these people I'd never met took me into their homes, gave me food, uh, you know, like it was amazing. And then in sharp contrast to what I was experiencing with the conduct of the people in the church, it was like, uh, This is backwards. Abby had these black and white categories about who was good and bad, who was in and out, that fell apart for them when they didn't hold up to their actual experience of people, which led to them deciding to leave Christianity and the church. That was really difficult. I mean, that was, it was really painful, right? Like, I had been lied to. And, you know, kind of putting what I'd been taught to the test and having it fail, right? And then, yeah, it was like, this this isn't real. And for me, it was kind of dropping everything. Like, I, I really, I dropped everything. And, and it really spawned an interest in other religions, you know, other ways, like, Suddenly I was like, whoa, this is really off. This doesn't work. Um, I need to find a different outlet. I, you know, I dove into reading as much on comparative religions as I possibly could. Um, You know, and the more that I looked, the more that like, I wasn't necessarily finding that like another religion had it, you know, like it, I think there was a part of me that was like looking for something right? Like looking for, you know, I'd left this box and I want to move to another box. Um, and after, you know, months and months of 
you know, reading and study and just feeling like none of these fit me, none of these work for me. And then kind of coming up with this, you know, approach, like I remember talking to a friend and I was like, I think instead of trying to find something that fits, you know, trying to find some place that I can go that, you know, makes sense, I'm just going to create what works for me. And if there's something that aligns with that down the road, then, then that will find me, right? Like I'm not going to try and fit myself into one of these boxes. I'm going to, I'm going to focus on what I think is, you know, what, what is my experience of the divine? What is my, you know, way of accessing that? How am I um, relating to that? Um, and how that's relating to the world and what that means, you know, in real life. Um, and if there's something that aligns with that, then cool. But if not, I, I want to find what this is for me first. And so that's what I spent the next, I mean, Jesus, 15 years doing. Um, you said Jesus, 15 years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Was that a right? Freudian slip there? Well, you know, like, I think there was definitely a part of my, like, leaving the church was, like, really reclaiming saying the Lord's name in vain. So I was like, you know what? I can say whatever I want. Uh, reclaiming saying the Lord's name in vain. Yeah, right. I like, love it. I feel like I'm going through the opposite of, like, reclaiming saying it sincerely. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's, that's difficult for me right now. Freudian slips aside, Abby spends the next several years exploring and cultivating their own spiritual practice, trying to find something that speaks to them personally, not trying to fit into an existing box or tradition. Years later, when I moved to Austin, I found the Church of Conscious Harmony, which felt like home. It's a you know, it's a specifically Christian church, but they do Christianity in a way that I had never seen done before. Um, you know, it like, it was open, it was expansive. It honored the ideas of East and West, um, which I was clearly invested in both. But what I found so powerful and transformative about it is that I like, having a way to interact with Christianity that was not tainted by the way I grew up um, was deeply healing for me. What is that? Right? What did that look like? Like not tainted by the way you grew up? Well, I mean, like part of it, the church was built very intentionally and they built the building and they constructed the campus in order to make it, to not make it look like any church you'd ever been in. Right. So that you, you didn't have the associations. You didn't have the stained glass windows. You didn't have the tall, you know, steeple and the, you know, like this and that, like, it was constructed, you know, even the physical building was constructed in a way so that you wouldn't, associate it with your past experiences, right? And I, I thought I have always valued that. Um, but they just approach things very differently. Like the, 
it, it's so much more open. You know, there are sermons where our minister is preaching from the Bible and then the Bhagavad Gita. And there's a really deep understanding that truth, like Christianity doesn't have a monopoly on truth. And honoring that while also honoring that this is our tradition and that this is how we are relating to the divine. Um, I think sometimes just because it's what we grew up with, right? Like it's the culture that we live in. Um, and, and I found that to really be true is that like, this is where I can go deep. This is where I can put down roots because this is the culture I've been steeped in. This is what I have an innate understanding of. And when you can peel away the kind of trappings of the way different, you know, denominations or sects of Christianity uh, approach this, you can actually find something really deep and really valuable um, that like, oh, there is a way quote-unquote, follow Jesus that doesn't require you to stay within this box that evangelicalism hands you. Um, as a matter of fact, it's actually much easier to follow the teachings of Jesus outside of that box. I love what Abby's talking about here, an approach to Christianity or really any religious tradition that is both open and grounded. And being able to do that in your native tradition, like your native language, can be incredibly powerful because it's the tradition that is deepest in your bones. It's in your culture, in your psyche, your nervous system. This may not be possible for everyone, the same way as someone who was maybe abused with words from their native language and carries trauma that's connected to that language they might find it healing to learn a new language and to have experiences in a different language. But for many people, their native language will always hold a gravitas that other languages can never match. And that same is also true for those who grew up in a religious tradition. The stories, symbols, and practices of that tradition shaped who they are and how they see the world. So I was curious if Abby identified with the word Christian nowadays. Depending on who asks, I might say I'm a Christian. I might not. <laughs> um, what do you base that off of? Uh, what they think Christian means. <laughs> or I guess I should say my assumption of what they think Christianity means. Um, it, you know, there are some people who, like, I don't want, I don't want to associate with and I don't want to be associated with. And, you know, I'm happy to say that, like, I'm not a Christian when I really mean I'm not a Christian like that. Um, I can relate to this so much because our words are so contextual, like meaning of things can change based on the context. I feel this is so important when it comes to our understanding of religious traditions Religion can often be focused on its words and symbols rather than what the words and symbols point to. And when that happens, 
it can all get hijacked into a game of who has the correct words and symbols and everyone else's are incorrect. Almost like treating it like a math problem. You know, like there can only be one correct answer that's in the back of the book. Um, And so which religion or which belief system has the correct answer? But I think maybe it's more like music than a math problem. Because with music, no one asks if the song was correct. Um, But we ask, like, did it move you? Did it connect with you? Uh, No one has ever written a song and said, finally, I've done it. I've written the most correct song and we should all stop singing other songs because the goal with music is connection. And that means we need different songs for different people and we need new songs for new situations or experiences or times in our life. And maybe our religious traditions are similar to music in that way. Maybe the goal isn't to get it correct, but the goal is to experience deep connection the words or scriptures or symbols or stories, they're like the music notes. Uh, They're like the sheet music. They're not correct or incorrect. That's the wrong framework to judge them by. It's about how it helps you connect more deeply with yourself or with others or with God. And if the goal isn't correctness, but instead connection, then we can get a whole lot more flexible with what helps us get there because it's going to be different for different people. For, for many, like for me growing up, the tradition, I didn't even call it a tradition because even calling it a tradition um, would have felt like demoting it to yeah. not capital T truth or not the only truth. Um, yeah. and, and so what I hear and how you relate to the tradition um, maybe to Jesus or texts like the Bible is that it seems to me like you enjoy them and like being connected to them to a certain extent, but not for the end goal of I can wrap my hands around the truth or. Oh yeah. Yeah. That is definitely not the. (laughs) Yeah. So what, what for you, (laughs) what for you then, if the goal is not, I have found a need to stay connected to um, these words and stories because they're true, though that word is even hard to use, but, but because they are exclusively true, what then is the goal for having a tradition, for, mm. for even being Christian in some yeah. way? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. Um, You know, for anything to grow, it has to have structure. Like it shifts it from this is right, this is wrong to an experiential. Like I felt God here. I experienced the divine in this space. And this is the language that I use for that. And and this is the way that I'm doing that. And I could see how a different approach could have a similar experience, right? Like how a different set of language and rules or tradition or whatever could lead someone to the experience of the divine. And I think that's what um, this kind of like limitless 
divinity is really what has come of actually choosing structure. Like, choosing limits. Yeah, like choosing limits allows you to experience the limit limitless of the universe, right? Like me in my particularity can experience the divine only because I'm willing to be me in my particularity, like mm-hmm. in this physical incarnation, in this moment, in linear time, in this physical space, you know, with these past experiences, I am highly limited. I am, you know, down to the very minutia. I am so incredibly particular in my experience. But knowing that helps me to realize that like we can all experience the divine from our particularities. I think for me, connecting to this tradition is what allows me to experience more depth. Um, and what I'm, what, you know, what I've found through my travels and my studies is that like this, this isn't the only way you can experience that depth. But the. Um, the tradition allows you to not have to dig the entire well yourself. Uh, I love that. Sure, you can go dig your own well. You can create your own practices and stories and symbols to help you experience the divine. But there are these things we call spiritual traditions or or religions that for thousands of years have been creating and testing these ways of doing this, of creating this connection with the divine. So like someone looking for water, you can try to dig a well yourself, that's fine, or you can benefit from the hard work that others have done before you and use a well that's already been created. And yes, there are other wells around the world, other traditions, and they may be better suited for other people. And yes, some wells, some traditions, they may be flawed, or the people who use that well may sometimes abuse it or see things differently than you, but it still may be worth benefiting from an existing well than trying to dig one your own. I hope this metaphor, or hopefully it's helping you and you're sticking with it. Um, if you'll go with it just a little bit further with me. Uh, because a big question for many Christians right now is, has the Christian well been poisoned? Like, can a tradition that may have been useful to some people, like maybe in the past, can it become so distorted that it is now more harmful than it is helpful. I wanted to ask Abby a question that I felt was um, different but related to this whole conversation about traditions 
and structures and limits. Speaking of this, this may be a, a nothing trail or whatever, but, uh, but it's a conversation that I've always remembered uh, having with you. Um, can you tell me what pronouns you prefer? Yeah, so my pronouns are they, them. Um, I identify as queer and non-binary. Um, and that's actually strangely been a really uh, big part of my spiritual journey. Um, you know, in the same way that when I was younger, you know, I like left the box of evangelicalism and this church, right. And didn't ever really find another box. Um, I've had this, uh, a similar experience like with my gender, like knowing for as far back as I can remember that like my gender never really fit. I didn't, I never felt like a quote unquote woman. Um, I didn't want to be seen as that. I didn't like being seen as that. Um, it's taken me a long time to like realize that that's because I am non-binary. Um, uh, meaning that like, I don't ascribe to the idea that there is only this or that, that there is only male and female. I remember I didn't understand what's what's limiting or what doesn't fit about a word that somebody would call you uh whether that's she or a woman it didn't really make sense to me like wait why does this word feel like it doesn't fit Mm -hmm. can you tell me like like how yeah um you know it's interesting kind of in the same way you know talking earlier about um you know, whether or not I would call myself a Christian, right? That like when we say words, they mean a lot, right? Like words are not just a word. Words are a doorway to a million words. Or like a container for Yeah, they're a container for, for an entire concept and, and, for me, like, I've never, I've always just felt on the outskirts, on the outside of what a quote unquote woman is supposed to be, right? Um, because when you say woman or you say she or you say girl, you have a concept in your mind. Yeah, right? I've got a thousand maybe, different associations. Yeah, maybe it's pink, maybe it's the bow and maybe it's flowers, maybe it's um, makeup or hair, maybe it's uh, you prefer these movies, you prefer these activities. You, exactly. Yeah. There, there's a massive amount of assumptions involved. And the same thing with the word man or he or boy. Maybe it's blue, maybe it's trucks, maybe it's, you know, Hot Wheels and Legos and G.I. Joes. Maybe it, you know, it, maybe it's hunting or maybe it's football, right? Like these are all the associations that, that we are you know, given from our culture. And I don't feel comfortable with people making assumptions about me. That just kind of goes across the board. But I've, I realized how much it was bothering me in terms of gender. It's just like it, 
I think I would still be frustrated by the assumption, even if it were correct. Right. <laughs> but like the fact that like the assumption still isn't correct is where things really started to like unravel for me. It's like, I'm not this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I easily have just as much masculine energy as I do feminine energy or more. But I am also, I don't identify as a man. I remember when you, when you explained that, that words can be these like doorways or buckets for a million associations that go along with that word. You know, it's just a few letters in a row, but it means a thousand different things, uh, especially depending on the culture and and people that you're talking to. I was like, oh my gosh, that um, that feeling that sounds like you were having with this word or these sets of words. I was like, I think this is kind of similar to the feeling that I'm having with the word Christian. Like, do I use this word? Is it an identity that I still feel like is true about me? Um, and in some ways, and with some people, I found myself identifying as Christian. Yeah. And with other people, it's like, oh, I don't want to use that word or I don't want you to use that word about me because I think it means all of these things that aren't true of me. Yeah. Like you were saying, sometimes I use the word, sometimes I don't, um, just depending on like, what do I feel like it means in this context and for these people and what associations come along with that. I feel like with all of this, that's the the thing that it keeps feeling like it's circling for me, um, is that this kind of stuff gets twisted when it becomes about itself, um, instead of pointing us beyond, like we use this so that we can point beyond this thing. Yeah. Um, Yeah. In the same way that I am particular in all these different ways, gender is, gender and sexuality are both spectrums on which you could be many different particular places, not just one or the other. Um, And kind of moving into the expansiveness of that, which is both freeing and terrifying, (laughs) um, has really helped me to see the divine more in that expansive way and I really think that that experience has shaped and really improved my both my experience of and my my concept of the divine so so good that was my beloved friend Abby who is also an Enneagram teacher and a yoga therapist So if you're interested in checking out their work, like their incredible book on the Enneagram, go to ConsciousEnneagram.com to connect with them. I hope this conversation was helpful for you in some way. For me, I find it so helpful to think about my tradition, Christianity, like my native language, an interface for life, for God, for meaning. Just like language isn't about the words themselves, but about how it can help us 
relate to and connect with and interact with our world. I love my Christian tradition because it helps me do that. It's the well that has been dug for thousands of years that I can enjoy. It's the music that people have found moving that I find also helps me connect with something more. And when I lose sight of that, when it becomes about it being the correct tradition, it all just becomes a little silly and hollow, I think. Like saying my language or my well or my music is the only or best one. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes choosing a tradition, going deep into it can help us experience the limitless. And then sometimes limits might be too limiting. You need to let go of certain words, ideas, or concepts that aren't helpful anymore. Yeah, isn't that how life goes? Picking things up that are helpful, putting them down when they stop helping you become more free and whole. (sighs) Yeah. I'd love to hear how you relate to the tradition you came from. Do you love it? Do you hate it? Do you love and hate it? Uh, Yeah, does it feel hollow to you now? Or does it feel more rich and beautiful than ever? Have you found a new tradition that you connect with more? Reach out on Instagram at almost.church or my email is brandon at almost.church. No matter where you are though, I hope you feel free to move towards whatever is helping you find connection and wholeness right now.